Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. End of the day. End of the day. It's all about practicing, practicing medicine, practicing medicine at the end of one. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Or whatever the time it happens to be at in wherever the world you are today. I want to welcome all of you to the show at the end of the day. This is a podcast about the lost art of medicine for those who are dissatisfied with healthcare status quo. I'm Andy DeLeo, a.k.a. The Cancer Geek, and I'm joined by my co-conspirators, Wes Mercer and A.J. Montpettit. How's it going, gentlemen? Hey, guys. How's it going? Fantastic. How are you guys doing on your coast and middle of the country? Pretty good. Just hanging in there on the East Coast. How about yourself? Loving winter. (laughs) (laughs) Did, Did you get snow as well? Yeah, we were in Colorado last week in 70 degree weather and drove home to winter that came a month early. So that's good. How much snow have you guys gotten? Not about a half inch. Nothing too crazy. I was going to say in, where I am, we got enough snow just to cover the trees and a little bit of the yard. Um, but I'm hopeful to say that today it's going to you know, have a huge sort of warmth of 48 degrees. So hopefully we'll see most of it melt away by the end of the day. <laughs> Since we're all dreaming of a white Christmas in a winter wonderland, I actually think that's a, well, maybe it's a bad segue, but it's actually a good segue into uh, the first topic. Have either of you ever watched the movie Inception? Oh yeah, I have not. So so Wes, just to give you uh, sort of a setup here, it's all about the ability to actually plant a seed deep into one's mind so that when they dream, that they can truly sort of project or plant the seed in the the center of the dream. And that dream sort of facilitates and becomes their own mind and their own thought and their own thinking, even though that that seed has been planted by someone else. For those of you that haven't watched it, it's a Christopher Nolan movie. I highly recommend it. But for me, what's really interesting is, is that The topic that I'm going to start out with is an article that came out of uh, MIT entitled Controlling Your Dreams, MIT's Media Lab Using Dream Guidance Devices to Augment Human Creativity. So in short, they made Inception real. When I read this article, the movie I thought about was Dreamscape back from the 80s. Oh, yeah. Where they could get into other people's dreams and help them have lucid dreams and work through therapy and... I just remember that as a kid, just tripping me out and watching that on VHS at my grandma's house and scaring the living snot out of me. (laughs) What's interesting about this is that the researchers uh, from MIT Media Lab, as they were looking at neuroscience and, and sort of the criticality of sleep and the process of sleep and what happens during sleep, they stated that there still did not exist a reliable technology that actually interfaced with sleep or the dream state. And so as they go through this, uh, one of the things that that I want to uh, just sort of quote directly from the article is that during sleep onset, a window of opportunity arises in the form of hypnagogic 
Hypnagogia. Hypnagogia. Thank you. A semi-lucid sleep state where we all begin dreaming before we fall fully unconscious. Hypnagogia is characterized by unpredictability, distorted perception of space and time, and spontaneous fluid idea association. Edison, Tesla, Poe, Dolly, each access the state by napping with a steel ball in hand to capture creative ideas generated in the micro dreams when it dropped to the floor below. So essentially what uh, they've done is they've created uh, this product called the Dormio in which it allows one to sense when someone arrives in, in this dream state, in this lucid perspective. And when that happens using your cell phone, they will then send an auditory message. So it could be a tree, it could be a fork, it could be a rabbit, it could be AJ's got the best voice of any podcaster out there. That's objectively false. <laughs> and what they've noticed is, is that by sort of having this auditory cue, that people actually start to take that cue and it gets implanted into their dream. And they start to have these dream states in this unconscious thinking around whatever that sort of keyword is. And so they, you know, as any good sort of lab experiment does, um, they actually ran this uh, through, uh, I think, in NF6. And what they realized was is that those people uh, actually tested hired on creativity tasks the next day. And they also realized that when subjects needed to write a story about the specific topic, that people could write longer. They were showing more motivation. And in addition to that, people could also use sort of mixed media. So instead of just writing, maybe they were also uh, using pictures or, or drawing or colors or, or other, other aspects like that to sort of convey uh, this story that, that they were putting together. While I think this is really, really interesting from just a creativity perspective to generate my own creativity, the question that I have for both of you is if you were approached to be part of the study, would you? And why? Whether it's yes or no. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the reason why I say that is just the other day, two days ago, I was taking a nap on the weekend. And as I was starting to kind of drift off, all of a sudden I got all of these ideas because I had been thinking about the Lego table that I'm going to build for the kids for Christmas just giving my brain time to rest and in that state all of a sudden I got this flood of ideas of different things for a Lego table that I've not been able to see but I thought would be really cool like you see Lego tables and a lot of them are just big flat spaces but as I was falling asleep I started having all of these ideas of what if I built interchangeable blocks of those square green pieces that have glued on different terrains so the kids could mix and match different terrain styles on the table so they could have a mountain they could have a hill lake that kind of stuff or what would it look like if it was you know had like a nice overhead light or you know all these different options kind of flooded into my brain right as I was falling asleep and then of course I couldn't take the nap I so desperately wanted because I had to get up and write this all down but I think that there is something to be said about accessing that part of our creative brain working just like when they say when you're struggling with a problem and you take a minute to go for a walk you know how good that is and and I love 
the fact that they referenced Dolly on this because he used to purposely try to fall asleep in a chair with a, I guess maybe a steel ball, but I read a plate. And as he fell asleep and that broke, that's where his ideas for his paintings came from, were those super warped, surrealistic ideas. And I think the persona he adopted was just a reflection of that because you can't be considered a madman artist if you look like an average Joe Blow. So Wes, how about you? So I like this concept. I like the idea and I like what they've done with this. I think it needs to be fleshed out a little bit more and taken to the next level. So I can see a huge influx of this coming into modern day medicine and being used to you know, again, being refined more to eliminate pharmaceuticals that, you know, are currently being consumed by by individuals that, you know, have depression or, or have other issues such as memory or even like ADD. You know, if you can improve upon this a little bit more and create new avenues uh, in research, I, I think there's a lot of potential with this. And I think it's really exciting. Would I jump on the bandwagon at this point? I think it's still a, a bit early having an NO6 but I think that there's um, endless potential with this and it, anything that we can do to naturally cure some of the diseases that are inflicted upon us without using pharmaceuticals, I think would be awesome. So, so do you see that as something that could be more cognitive behavioral therapy where you're kind of retraining your brain with some influence-based uh, suggestions in that state of hypnagogy? I think so. Hmm. I, I think that would be the ultimate goal to be able to get to that level. That's really interesting. I didn't even think of it that way. So my question is, is when it comes to this topic, are there any other ethical concerns or security concerns or, or whatnot that either of you have? And what I mean by this is, is that it's one thing for, let's say myself, if I decide to do this, that I've got control of that auditory signal and I can sort of task myself with what that is. It's a very different thing if I give up that control to either the person that I sleep next to or through an app or through uh, research. So what do you guys feel about kind of that scenario? Well, I think with anything that's developed, there's potential for abuse. There's potential for security leaks. There's potential for evil. And, and that comes with everything. And I think knowing that up front, you have the ability to stave off as much as possible. And that's where the testing, the probing, the run-throughs and innovation cycles help try to identify those leaks, those areas of opportunity for abuse and refine the process so you can't have that. And I look at this more as I could see something like a headspace type of app or a calm app where if it's using your phone you're as you're falling asleep with your earbuds in your ears then it gives you those gentle reminders or prompts and then coordinates with the device you're wearing on the wrist like MIT developed so I think there are definitely concerns but I think that that could be sussed out in a very easy way I think that's an area of huge concern um, you know, being able to let someone else control what your dreams are going to be and how they're going to influence you and how they're going to affect your mood, you'd be suspect as to who has access to that information. So I think, Andy, you bring up a great point. What are your thoughts around it, Andy? So for me, I 
kind of like the idea of being able to tap into that creativity a little bit more. Um, like AJ sort of shared, I too sleep with a journal next to my bed and oftentimes I find myself startling myself up out of bed because this crazy idea just came into my mind and I have to write it down or else I, I forget it. Or sometimes if I have a dream and I wake up at some point, I'll try and write that down as well. And so if there's a way that I can tap into that creativity, that really interests me because it's a, it's a muscle that I want to sort of flex more. But where I, I guess where my mind goes is, is that I love the movie Inception so much. And I think of where we kind of are and how we've adopted other types of technology that my fear is, is that if we start tapping into sort of that natural dream state and we start using guided meditation or selective words or something else that we begin to plug ourselves into this thing that we call the matrix or a, a digital ecosystem so often that there really is no escape between what is reality and what is distortion. And I know for me personally, that's one of the things that I am very, very in tune with is trying to make sure that I tap into it enough to keep a pulse on the heartbeat of what's going on around me in the world, but that I can tap out of it and I can sort of go back into my analog world where it gives, where it gives me the time and the space that I need in order to develop, form my own ideas, thoughts, opinions based on research and other things that I do. And so for me, it's it's kind of a, a balance between both of those aspects. And with that, I have just silenced the crowd. I think this is one of those things that, uh, so one, I think the homework for a Wes is he needs to go watch Inception at some point, um, maybe at like a 2 a.m. feeding when he's up anyways, he can just, you know, watch it over the course of a week. It'll, it'll take me at least a month to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we can probably uh, jump into our next topic. Perfect. So the next topic I want to touch upon is communication tactics. Um, as you guys are both aware, you know, everyone's working from home. The company that I work for just recently announced that we're going to be working from home indefinitely. I just got that amazing email over the weekend. So this is kind of the, the new normal and the new reality. And what I wanted to talk about is as we continue to work remotely, we're finding it, it might be hard to remain connected with your teams and your peers. So despite having back-to-back -back Zoom calls and a litany of tools to help stay connected, I think many of us are struggling to keep up and keep engaged with one another and uh, be engaged within our work. During this time of, of uh, this newfound normal of working from home with only your family members around, uh, I think has increased our distractions during the so-called work hours. So I can tell you for a fact, working remotely definitely has its challenges for me in this pandemic than it has historically ever had. Um, the challenge for many that work or the job function is a means to an end. Simply completing the tasks and getting the work done rather than connecting to colleagues and teams. So I read this Forbes article which highlighted three tactics of staying aligned and connected within your teams. So the first way is to be seen and to be heard. So in this, the author describes this as an attempt to build a virtual office 
by creating a video call for a set amount of time in which everyone joins in with their video camera on and they do their own work. So the concept is similar to a pod setting. If you need to speak with someone, you can ping them and go to a breakout room to have a private conversation and then return back to the pod once you're done. This is a way to create a sense of being in an office without actually being in the office. So, OS, can I comment on that real quick? Yeah, please. So I think this is a, a fabulous idea and it's something a good friend of mine does already with his software engineering. Is It's called paired programming. So instead of just sitting and staring at a screen all day by himself, he's actually on a Zoom call with another programmer and they're working on the same product at the same time together. They're not sitting there and just talking about the project all day. They're actually building a relationship and they can rotate who they pair with. So the other day I was talking with a friend and we solved the problem in 15 minutes over the phone and through our Zoom call, but we stayed on for another 45 minutes just working on stuff and just chatting and I just missed that so much that little interaction and I think there's something there where we just need the ability to see people and be with people while we work AJ my question to you about this pod setting would be I mean the way that this author described it was just leaving your camera on so that you can see other people but you're not actually communicating with them it's just kind of you know having those cubicles set up in an office and you're just in your own cubicle, but you can see everyone kind of doing their own work. You're describing something that's completely different where you're actually having that one-to-one -one engagement where you're actually working to complete a task, whether it's through uh, screen sharing um, and actually you know, completing something and talking through it. Yeah, a, li a little bit different, but just the ability to have someone there with you, even if they're distant, is a very nice thing whether working on a task together or just being there. I think I just miss having people around is my thing. Oh, I agree with you. I second that all the way. So let me, uh, let, let me continue then. So the second way the author describes is to be regular. So this means having rec uh, regular recurring meetings with your team's direct reports, peers, and managers. So this allows for clear lines of communication, whether it's work-related or simply just to catch up and connect personally. And then the third way, third and final way, is to create virtual happy hours to allow everyone to get together without an agenda and let conversations naturally occur. This is a way to mimic going out for a drink or catching up over a meal, allowing individuals to get to know each other better and on a personal level as a group. So we actually had our own virtual uh, happy hour with our team, and it was actually pretty cool. It, was, it occurred at a time when we were, I felt really socially isolated in my house and it was a great outlet to be able to connect with people outside of my immediate family. For me personally, it was great not to have a conversation with kids and actually have an adult conversation outside of business and work. I'd love to get your thoughts on, on any of these topics and these three techniques that they this author described. What cracked me up with the second idea is their tagline was be regular, like the fiber of the communication world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I left that part out intentionally. <laughs> Well, considering it's coming from Forbes, I think it's passed all kinds of muster and scrutiny. And I thought that was just hilarious. And I think there is something about that is that we need some kind of structure in our lives. And as someone with ADHD who revolts against any type of structure or routine, I know that I do my best when I have some type of structure or routine 
in place, even if it's flexible. And I think that is very nice to have. I think, you know, looking forward to the time that I do with the podcast with you guys, looking forward to my today's Wednesday. So I have my call with my mentor, you know, those regular things right now I look forward to. And it's something that is a cherished and for lack of better words, a sacred time that we don't mess with. When my door shut, the kids know, do not come in or else I'm going to squirt you with the water pistol that I've got on my desk. So so that's how you keep kids out of your office. I can't figure that out. Yeah, water guns. Super stokers might have to be next because they're getting too old for that. <laughs> you know, we were using it for the dog, jumping up on, trying to get on the table and eat the kids' food. So now I just kind of slowly migrated it down to my office. But no, I think I think these are great. It's just a reminder we can we can get isolated so quickly and lose that little spark of humanity and i think this is a great reminder to just bring that spark back yeah so for me i read the article and for me it's it i guess it's slightly different uh i've been working at this pace in sort of this situation or scenario for over a decade now and so most of what people are kind of sifting through and sorting through right now about the isolation and how do you stay motivated and how do you connect in this virtual digital environment. I went through that transition in that phase back in 2010. So for me, this is a, a muscle that I think my team is already accustomed to my style and how I work. Um, so I've got, uh, 30 minute one-on-ones every single week with everyone on my team. It's an opportunity for me to check in. It's their meeting. So it's less about me resuscitating or regurgitating information to them. And it's more about how is their week going? What are the challenges that they have? What are the barriers? And when they're looking towards like their personal growth, what are the things that I can do to give them the tools or enable them to, to grow professionally? So that's kind of the, the first thing that I do. Uh, the second thing that I do is with cross-functional teams, whether it's within my own function or across the organization, I've got other sort of cadences. Some of them are uh, every week, some of them are twice a month, some of them are monthly. But it's a way to make sure that there's that connection and there's that discussion uh, that's going across the organization um, with the other professionals. Uh, and again, it's just a, a check-in. Sometimes we talk about things that are completely not work-related. Sometimes, you know, we talk about some of the frustrations. Um, and you know, most of the time, it's productive just to check in, share what everyone else is doing, and how do we leverage those learnings from the, the others in order to you know, scale uh, that progress. I think as far as being you know, <laughs> regular and making sure that I take my fiber, uh, my team also knows that there's a couple of life hacks that they can use with me. If it's an email that they want me to read and respond to right away, they know to literally just put read and respond in the subject line and I will prioritize those first. They also know that I live on my phone. So if they send me a text with um, at the beginning of the message, 
they know that that's sort of our internal code for emergency. And now I'm just thinking to myself, why am I giving this away publicly? Because if anyone has my contact <laughs> information, they're going to start using this. There, there are some other digital tools that I try to use to sort of just automate things that I don't want to waste my time with because I've got calls going back to back for eight, 10 hours a day, and I've got customer meetings and I've got other stuff um, going on. And so that's, that's kind of my, <laughs> that's my everyday life, uh, seven days a week. So the way, the other way that I connect is, you know, it's having sort of my small group of, of people. So it's the both of you, um, we at least connect, you know, once or twice a week around this project. Um, it's my ability to write and connect with the, the greater world. It's through social media channels, but it's also, I've got a, a close sort of group that I call, you know, whether it's my personal board of directors or whatever you want to name it, that we text, we call, we share images, pictures, videos with one another. And that's kind of the way that I connect. So yeah, so I guess I've just, uh, I've gone through the, the pain of the transition uh, a little bit earlier than everyone else is right now. So Andy, let me ask you, have you done any of these virtual uh, happy hours or Asia, have you done any of those? Yeah, I did at first. Uh, for myself, they kind of fell off the radar for me because I'm just not a big drinker to begin with. And when it was only two or three people, it, it got a little dull. So I've joined, I think, one or two of the, the happy hours and they've been okay, I guess. Uh, for me, while some of the sharing has been nice and it's been good, it almost seemed a bit too forced and unnatural. And so for me, I kind of lost interest. However, uh, I've done other things. There's a really good friend that I have. And so if he or I have had a difficult day, uh, we'll just sort of you know, ask one another, Hey, what is, what's the drink of the day? So, you know, what's the, what's the dial a drink? Uh, so we'll text message each other and then we'll take a picture and sort of share that. There's a couple of other colleagues that I work with and we used to always have a tradition after a customer meeting that we would go out and drink a margarita. And so now we just share margarita recipes and images of those margaritas after our customer meetings virtually. So there's hacks to Zoom or WebEx drink parties that, that I use that just work better for, for me. I tell you what, here's, here's a thought that I wanna throw out there is, could we do some type of Zoom board game party? Or I don't know, I think that there's there needs to be something beyond just drinking. I mean, I know that's a good default because it's, it's a very easy way to kind of numb the pain of reality right now. You know, there's got to be some better alternatives out there, I think. I've got one. Battleship. Ooh, that's a good classic, too. Battleship on Zoom would be good. No, I think that's good. But speaking of sinking my battleship, we wanted to talk today. I wanted to talk more specifically about online privacy and security. And, and really, the reason why I brought this up is that there's a lot of people that I've been seeing in my circles having some issues with 
things getting hacked. Uh, my wife last or two weeks ago, excuse me, two weeks ago, my wife had her credit card used in four different states. Thankfully, our banking institution is very good about detecting fraud and shutting it off right away. But that made me think I'm a bit of a, well, it used to be called paranoid. Now I'm being called rational <laughs> with this online privacy and security stuff. So I wanted to just talk about a few different things, tips and tricks. <laughs> yes, I do feel like someone's watching me. A few different easy things that you can do to protect yourself. So the first thing is a company called privacy.com. And privacy.com I started using where they create and you can create a virtual credit card for all of your online vendors. What that means, it's like a firewall to your credit card information. So they will create a virtual credit card for Netflix and it can only be used for Netflix. If that data ever gets leaked, well, it will get leaked at some point, let's just be honest here. When that gets leaked and if someone tries to use it somewhere other than Netflix, it gets automatically shut down, declined, and you get an alert. And I looked into this company. It's a very smart company. And I was going, okay, how do you make money? And they're very upfront and transparent saying they worked out a deal with Visa for getting a micro percentage off of every transaction. So when you think there's probably hundreds of thousands of transactions every day from people using their service and they make 0.01% off of every transaction, it's a good way, kind of reminds me of office space where they just take a fraction of a penny off of every transaction. Um, just don't forget that one decimal point so you don't get caught. But privacy.com, definitely one to check out, super easy to set up. And I've been using it for the last couple of weeks now after my wife's credit card got hacked. Another one is a password manager. So instead of leaving your passwords in a notebook where anybody can find it, which accounts for a lot of the ways that data gets leaked, especially in healthcare. About a few years ago, I saw a report and it could change now, but 80% of all of the data breaches in healthcare were caused by human stupidity, leaving a laptop somewhere, forgetting your laptop on the bus, having stuff written down on a piece of paper that didn't get shredded, those types of mistakes. A password keeper like LastPass or 1Password or a hundred different, I think Dashlane is another one. There's there's hundreds of them. But what you do is you have it save all of your passwords and not with your browser, not with your browser login. This is a separate encrypted secured thing. Every time I log into my web browser, I have to sign into my password keeper and I have two factor authentication set up. And now every website I log into, the password pops up and it's filled in. Why is it important to use something that's uh, third party, not your browser, is because browser databases can get hacked too. But when you have something that's removed from that, and that also has two-factor authentication, which means you get a text with a rotating code that changes every couple of minutes, then it secures it even more. And that's, that's my third tip of basic tips is two-factor authentication. Anything that you have that can have two-factor authentication, turn it on. And it can be a pain because you have to get a text or it takes about 10 seconds more to log into something. But what that does is that proves that it's actually you logging into the thing you're logging into, whether that's your bank account, whether that's Reddit, whether that's your Gmail, 
you know, having that two-factor authentication is just another extra step of security for you so that even when, and it's not if, but it's when now, that data gets used, then it's proving that you are you. And if it's, if you're ever logged in or someone tries to log in, and I've had this happen too, I got, I get email alerts saying, hey, someone from Indiana just tried logging into your account. I'm not in Indiana. So nope, that's not me. So those are, those are my three top tips for keeping yourself safe and secure online. There's a whole lot more, but I think that's a really, those are the good top three fundamentals is a privacy.com for virtual credit cards or another service. I don't know of another one, but that's what I'm using right now. And I love it. Get a password manager, password keeper. So you don't have to remember all of them. You just remember the one to log into and use two-factor authentication whenever you can. And not to put the fear of God in people who are listening, but there have been so many data breaches out there that it's not—it's it, just not a matter of if, it's a matter of when someone finds your credit card, your account information, your passwords, and then they try to log into everything because people use the same password for everything. So AJ, I've got one other question for you. So I know Oftentimes people use, you know, Google for their browser, Google Chrome. And I know that there are some really good browsers out there that do also from a privacy perspective, so they don't keep track of your history and things like that. Uh, do you want to share a little bit about that topic as well? Yeah, so we're in a phase and Andrew Yang recently proposed the idea of trying to get legislation pushed through that says your online data is your data you own it and i love that because there are companies that we have no idea what their names are that are tracking everything we do online everything we do on our phones every time we walk into a store and are profiting off of that data and i don't mind if they're doing that i want a cut of it because that's my data they're making money off of it's kind of like being a, a research subject so if that's something you want to try to minimize browsers like firefox have a bunch of tools built into the web browser to stop and block trackers, Facebook and Google being the top two ad companies out there. A, if you want to try to keep like your search history a little more private away from advertisers, making a profit off of what you search for, then one of my favorites is DuckDuckGo. They don't keep a record of anything you search for and their search results are on par with Google. And it's way better than Bing, in my opinion. You can just do a little looking if you're on your phone. Firefox has a great mobile browser for both iOS and Android. DuckDuckGo also has a privacy-focused browser for iOS and I believe Android as well. If you're looking for alternatives for your email that is not Google, because Google basically is, for lack of better words, big brother of the internet, there are services like FastMail and ProtonMail that you can use. There's privacy-based alternatives to everything out there. It is a little harder because not everybody uses it, but I think if we make a push to get our friends and families around us to start using that, then they'll get more of a spotlight and do better. And that means that we have better options. Well, thank you, AJ. I think uh, everyone that's listening will appreciate that. And I think it's a, a good thing to just play a little bit of this song again, because I know this is kind of what's going through my mind again. I 
And the reality is, is that the reason why we do feel like someone's always watching us is because somebody probably is, whether it's in the physical or digital space. Uh, so with that, I think it's a wrap for today. Uh, so I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, you can tell us the good, the bad, and the plain old ugly at at the end pod at gmail.com. That's right. And I'm AJ Montpetit, and you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter at AJ Montpetit. And I'm Wes Mirza, and you can find me on Twitter at Wes F. Mirza. And as always, you can find me, Andy DeLeo, better known as Cancer Geek, on all of the social media platforms. And remember, at the end of the day, it's all about practicing medicine and your privacy at the end of one. <laughs>